This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Yesterday must have been heaven for Elliot Friedman. I have an echo, by the way, Lance. Uh, yesterday must have been heaven for Elliot Friedman. He didn't have to talk to me. He didn't have to see me. He didn't have to do a show with me. He had a miraculous Monday. How much did you enjoy that, Elliot Friedman, from Hockey Night and 32 Thoughts? Uh, I like that. No Merrick Monday. <laughs> I can add that to... Yeah, your to, Merrickless Monday. <laughs> I, I, can, I can add that to Weeded Out Merrick Wednesday. That's another one. So I got two days. Oh, to okay. Yeah. I, that's, uh, that's not bad. That's not bad. I'm sure you can have some alliteration for Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday as well. And just take the whole week off, Elliot Friedman, and put your feet up. Um, that's my, that's my homework assignment the rest here. of the day. <laughs> Try to figure out how to get the week off. Well done. A uh, lot to get to. So in the first hour, I played some of the audio from NHL Network Radio this morning. Bill Daly, Deputy Commissioner of the NHL, was on. Uh, talked about a number of things, gambling, the draft. And well, I want to get to the draft with you and decentralization in a couple of seconds. Um, but he did mention when the topic of mandatory neck guards or just neck guards, uh, cut-resistant technology in general came up, he said that the commissioner has been in contact uh, with Marty Walsh, just to get this conversation on the radar. We know this isn't going to happen overnight. Uh, it may not even happen at all. It may not happen with this group of players. It may need to be grandfathered. We'll see where this ends up. But this is whether it's you know equipment manufacturers, and I read out a statement from that Bauer released yesterday, whether it's leagues uh, themselves, whether it's individual teams, whether it's fans, Everybody seems to want this to happen, and that is mandatory coverage around the next. The only ones that are pushing back on it are the players. Do you have a thought on any or all of this? Uh, well, I, I'm very curious to see in a month's time, do we see a lot more players wearing it? Because it's very clear from everything I've read the last couple of days and you know, I was at the morning skate today and obviously it was a big topic of conversation. It's, it's pretty clear that we're getting to a point where, you know, people are at least saying, okay, maybe it's time to try it. And one of the things I definitely got the impression of Jeff is that there has been big improvements in the last few years when it comes to, the quality of the cut-resistant sleeves or neckwear in terms of how it feels to wear. Like, I was joking, um, you know, when I was a kid, Jeff, do you remember that white foam-like thing that you used to wear around your neck that some people did? Yeah. Of course, I wore it. Yeah, the, the, it, are you talking about the, are you talking about the goal the goal the the goalie mask danglers? No, 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 no. Like, when I played minor hockey, you could wear a foam thing around your neck. It was like a pillow around your neck. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I had, yeah. I, had, I had a thick neck guard. I know, what you're, I know what you're talking about. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, I do. Like, my parents, like, you know, as you're a kid, you're falling a lot. You're, you know, like, you know, we would make that stupid play. Like, if it, if it was a two-on-one against you, you'd slide across the blue line. So they could, cause nobody could sure. pass it over, over you. Like I was on the ice a lot. <laughs> so my parents said, you're, you're wearing that thing. And it was really uncomfortable and it looked really stupid and I didn't want to, but they were like, Oh no, you're wearing yeah. it. And I, I think that's one of the things here is that it, it appears in the last few years that 
um, the quality of the stuff to wear has gotten a lot better. So that's one thing. But I'm just curious to see. It's obvious from now. People are considering it. And I, I'm going to be interested to see in a month from now how many more guys are wearing it. Like TJ Oshie, I think everybody's probably seen that quote where he basically said his company is sold out of it now, right? So that leads you to yeah. believe that everybody's taking yeah. a longer and more serious look at this. Well, I mean, uh, all equipment manufacturers right now or all manufacturers that are involved in cut-resistant technology, I mean, they ship to retailers in August. And what parents or players themselves will do is they buy their equipment for the year in September, and then that's it. So right now, what everyone is finding out over the last 48 hours is inventory is at an all-time low because normally... People don't buy cut-resistant technology throughout the year, so there's no reason to, to have any in inventory. And so everyone's scrambling, and everybody is sold out. If they, if, if they, if they aren't already sold out within the next 48 hours, they will be, uh, is what I'm told. So they have a hard time keeping any of this stuff uh, in the retailers right now. So I, I do think that this will... You know, I think this will change because everyone's now, you know, in a hurry up offense to try to produce more to get it to market. But right now, even if you wanted to go buy, you know, uh, different neck guards or neck guards that are attached to your, you know, to your to your long sleeve dry fits, they're just not available. You just can't get them right now because this has sent so much of a shockwave through the entire industry all the way down to youth slash minor hockey. I mean, I'm a hockey dad. Um, that's my first thought. Make sure that my kids have enough, and they use like the the full shirt with the attached, uh, the attached neck guard with it as well. Um, everybody has uh, a stake in this one, and everybody wants to see this. Everyone wants to keep their kids safe. Everybody wants to keep players safe as well. Uh, manufacturers are just having a hard time. Retailers are having a hard time keeping all of this stuff on the shelves. I do wonder. As the NHL and the Players Association are in conversation, I wonder about two things. One, if this ends up going the route of, you know, not unlike we saw with visors or helmets that it gets grandfathered in, or I wonder if there's, I wonder if there's a player, and it would have to be a superstar, I wonder if there's a player out there that would act as a Pied Piper for all of this, whether it's, you know, Sidney Crosby, or maybe even if it's Connor Bedard, or if it's Connor McDavid, or whomever, uh, I do wonder what type of effect there would be if one of the stars of the game, Elliot, decided to uh, wear protective technology around their necks. Yeah, I, I think it's true. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, more than once in the last couple of days, I've heard, you know, someone heard on the podcast where I talked about. The way you build it up is you make it like, I mean, there's leagues in minor hockey where this is not mandatory. And, you know, I said, that's the way you build it up. You make it mandatory as kids and then everybody gets used to wearing it and they just keep it on. And someone heard that and they said to me, why don't we lead for a change? And, you know, I mean, Jeff, like the thing with me is like, I freely admit I'm one of those people who doesn't like, I believe in freedom of choice when it comes to these things. Um, I think people, uh, I don't like people telling me what to do. So I don't like to tell other people what to do. And, uh, and, but I would say this after, if I wasn't already wearing cut resistance stuff, I would be racing to wear it after that. But there is something to be said for the NHL players leading the way, but you know, they, they have to want to. And 
when it comes to their equipment, yeah. they tend not to want to be told what to do. You've seen this fight before, Elliot. How does it go? We've seen it with visors. I just mentioned slowly we've seen it with visors. We've seen it with helmets. It moves glacially slow. Yes. Um, okay. Also, Bill Daly um, mentioning this morning on NHL Radio the the topic of decentralization of the draft uh, was brought up, and Scott Lachlan, I believe, was the either Scott or Gord asked the question about you know what are we looking at this season uh, for the draft, and Daly said something along the lines of we're still trying to finalize the draft for this season based on the template that we've already had for a number of years, i.e., yep. we'd like to do one more traditional draft. Uh, yep. And we'd look to do the decentralized draft next season. Um, the Dakota ring says Vegas and the sphere. And if not, they'll go yep. to decentralization. How do you hear that comment from the deputy commissioner? Uh, I don't think you're wrong, Jeff. I do think they're budgeting the sphere to see if it's something they can do in an affordable manner. Um, so I think that's what they're waiting for. I mean, I think they could go to the Thomas and Mack center, which is where UNLV basketball historically played. So I think that um, uh, that's another possibility there as well. I, I think they know they have that option. But I do believe they want to try the sphere, and they're trying to see if they can, um, if they can budget for it. Um, yeah, if not, then yes, I do think we could see the change uh, this season to the decentralized draft. So we just got to wait to see how much uh, Jim Dolan wants to charge the league. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he'll give him a deep, deep discount, right, <laughs> Elliot? That's the nature of that relationship. Going back to the locket of as we've joked, right? Is a, he'll charge them more. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so we'll see what happens there with the uh, draft. The other thing that I wanted to get your, uh, your your latest thoughts on, or if there's any movement about this, and maybe we expect some type of announcement as early as this week, uh, the Evgeny Dodonov situation. Now, just so our listeners yep. are aware, may not know the backstory, in 2021, uh, Dodonov was you know traded to, uh, traded to Vegas. Uh, Vegas uh, tried to trade him a year later um, to the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, he was told that Anaheim is on his no-trade list. Vegas said, you never submitted a no-trade list. Dodonov and his camp said, oh, yes, we did. Turns out that he did. Um, Vegas very much wants their name cleared through all of this, and that's understandable. Um, and it sounds as if there is something coming. I don't know, a fine, a draft pick, multiple picks. I don't know. On the podcast, I wondered if it would be a light sentence considering there's a new owner and there's precedent there with Harrison Blitzer in New Jersey. But is there anything new on the Dodonoff file right now? I think what's going on here is that this is my guess as to the reason it hasn't been announced yet is because I think there's been, I don't know if you want to call it a, an argument or a battle or whatever over what the punishment will be. Um, uh, I, I think basically everyone here has agreed that there's going to be something um, there's going to be some sort of statement or um, admission that Vegas didn't know. And I, and the question is when Vegas knew. Like someone said to me today that they believe that Vegas knew like an hour before the trade deadline was up, whatever the case was. But very clearly Vegas was not told in advance that there was uh, a, a no trade in place to Anaheim. So 
So I think that's going to be there. I think there is going to be some sort of sanction slash penalty slash punishment. And from what I can gather, that's sort of what everybody was still battling about. Um, you know, someone said to me that, and I think this person is right about this, that Ottawa uh, initially, whatever people thought it was going to be, the Senators really thought it was really argued against or tried to claim it was just not relevant or fair based on the fact that mm-hmm. it's a new owner. Um, you know, and I don't know if we've settled on this answer yet, but that's what I, I had heard that, you know, as we talked about on the podcast, yes, uh, some of the hockey operations people are, are still there that, were, that when this happened, but the owner isn't. And uh, I think there was some argument on what was a reasonable punishment, and I just don't know that they've settled on what the answer is yet. That's the only thing I can think of here, because everybody knows it's right. coming. Like, everybody's admitted it's coming. It just hasn't happened yet. So I think there's still a a final jousting over what the penalty will be. <laughs> There's been a lot of uh, a lot of drama early Justin. this season. Whatever happened to just sort of easing easing your way into in, into a season? No, like right away this season. I mean, every time we we talk, there's a new uh, there's a new soap opera we have to go over, and this is uh, this is the latest one. And there were a few of them last night as well. Uh, I want to get to McAvoy here in a couple of moments, but first, um, the Anaheim Ducks beat the Pittsburgh Penguins by a final score of four to three. Now Mason McTavish, you know the Ducks are killing off a five on three. McTavish springs breakaway beautiful shot uh, and the Anaheim Ducks win they've now won four games in a row break up the Ducks in this game Ross Johnson scored briefly yeah it was called back ruled goalie interference uh, Sam Carrick uh, in the crease with Eric Carlson was called back Greg Cronin who didn't have like a meltdown like he didn't have like a, a John Brophy or a Jock Demers like he didn't have one of those but must have said something yeah, awful. I'll just be blunt uh, to get kicked out, and he did. Before I ask you, what did you think of that situation? I always go back to something that I was told by someone in the NHL about goalie interference, and that is when the player decides to go into the crease themselves, yeah. the liability goes way, way up. He said, if you're trying to read if it's going to be goalie interference or not have a look at it and if the player goes in on his own accord and Sam Carrick in this case does go in on his own regardless of whether he's bumping with the netminder or pushing him out of the way and there's a little tangle there with Eric Carlson he is incredibly liable in that situation so I looked at it and I said they're going to call this one back because Carrick went in on his own how did you see it? Yeah, I, the more I looked at it, when I first saw it, I was like, what the hell? Like that, that was my initial reaction. But then when I watched it a couple of times, there's no question in my mind that's exactly what occurred. Like, they don't want guys going into the crease and staying there. And even though Carrick didn't make uh, any attempt to uh, – like Carrick didn't interfere with Jari. He more, you know, bumped Carlson. And not – like he didn't throw Carlson into Jari. It's just that – Carlson's not going to win that physical battle. So he got, you know, he got kind of knocked into Jari. And also, you know, Jari couldn't come out and challenge the shot. Like Carrick was there. 
So I, I like I understood the call. Once I really watched it, I was like, yeah, you know, like Carrick's not going to win that battle. That one's on him. And and I know because a lot of fans they think goaltender interference. They think it's got to be a mugging for it not to count. No, that's that's not the yeah. case. And there you saw an example of why. Um, you know, like you, there was one of the angles where you could, if you read, if you read Cronin's lips, um, you know, he was definitely not saying, read my lips, no new taxes. That wasn't what was coming out of his mouth. It was, <laughs> it, it was, it was a bit pull there. Well done. Yeah. Back to the eighties. But, you know, wow. I think, I, I think this, I, you know, obviously the league is cracking down on what's said to officials. Um, no question about that. Uh, they they don't want uh, evidence of officials being quote unquote abused. Um, you know, I thought it was very interesting about Jared Bednar this week when McCarr got hurt and thankfully it wasn't serious. McKinnon gets a misconduct and Bednar comes out and defends his player and says. I think officials in that situ- situation have to be able to relax a bit. You know, Cronin got a two, and then he got another two, and then he got ejected from the game. So all I can say is that I it must have been pretty egregious to get that kind of a penalty, you would hope. I just hope, because I'm with you, like, it does very much seem like the NHL is trying to curb uh, the amount of verbal abuse officials take, and I understand that. I get that. I just hope that it doesn't get to, that. That we're not down a slippery slope the way that we see Major League Baseball umpires throw players out, batters out. Oh, I hate, out, I hate that. Out. Baseball's the worst it, for that. It is, They're the worst for that. Baseball, baseball is wrecking itself by doing this right now. The umps are so empowered and feel. Like for that, like we we've seen we've seen batters get thrown out just for glancing, glancing at the umpire after a questionable call. Like it's not even like not even saying not even verbal abuse. I just hope that it doesn't. I understand the idea of making sure that that officials aren't abused um, to 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 an unreasonable extent. Uh, but I just hope it doesn't go down that path because that's you know the, to be blind, the, the other I love thing. baseball. I know you love baseball. It's embar- It's yes. embarrassing. The other thing I think about that too is like I think when I was when I was thinking about that later last night, one thing about Cronin is he's demanded a higher standard from the Ducks when it comes True. to competing. And look, they just they just had a phenomenal road trip, like a great great oh. road trip. And one of the things I wondered about that was is Cronin fighting for them, like he's asking them to fight like that's the other thing i thought about that situation is cronin saying this team is giving me it's all and now i have to do that for them that's the other thing i thought about in that moment well you know who famously did that you'll recall i remember patrick was first game behind the bench in colorado remember what he did uh yeah didn't he get into that big fight with boudreau with Bruce Boudreau in the game against, ironically, the Anaheim Ducks, and it was glass to glass, yeah. nose to nose, and it was okay. This guy's this guy's gonna 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 fight for us. Um, 
Boston Bruins. And big game yesterday was, you know, Florida Panthers, Boston Bruins, first time since the playoffs last year, opening round, etc. The headline coming out of this one, Charlie McAvoy, uh, with the hearing at the NHL Department of Player Safety for his high hit on Oliver Ekman Larson. Also, should mention this, Jim Montgomery, head coach of the Boston Bruins, saying that Matthew Poitra is sticking around, uh, i.e., you've made the team. Uh, we like our right-handed shot centers in here, and we just lost two of them. Uh, your thoughts on both these issues, the, uh, the McAvoy uh, sh- uh, body check, high hit on Oliver Ekman Larson, and Matthew Poitra saying, I'm not going back to Guelph. Yeah, well, you know what? I think Poitras deserves it. There's no question about that. He he earned it with the way he played. And um, so I uh, absolutely agree that um, I absolutely agree that Poitras deserves the opportunity to stay past the 10 games and great on the kid. He showed it. You know, McAvoy, I'm sure, you know, you're on in Calgary right now. I'm sure that there's a lot of people uh, after Anderson got four games that are saying that should be the same. Yep. There's no difference between what happened with Rasmus Anderson and what, what happened with Charlie McAvoy. And I think in a lot of ways, particularly since McAvoy has one previous suspension, I think he's pretty lucky that he didn't get offered an in-person hearing, which is when they can take it yeah. over five. Like, and you know, I haven't seen, I haven't seen the, the play yet. Cause I just haven't had time this morning. I was at the skate but there was another play with McAvoy earlier in the game with Verhage where, you know, he was yeah, really skirting the line too, but, but just didn't get him. And so I don't know what happened last night. I don't know if it was, goes back to the playoffs or whatever, but, Verhage, but McAvoy was really in an ornery mood, and it's going to cost them some games. And, you know, the Bruins and the Leafs play on Thursday – and they're not going to have McAvoy. They're not going to have Grizzly. It's going to be interesting to see how Boston's going to manage that blue line. Uh, really quickly, you mentioned the Calgary Flames there a couple of seconds ago. I mentioned that we're, we're on in Calgary. Um, Connor Zeri called up from the, uh, the Calgary Wranglers and uh, taken some reps on the second unit power play as well. I mean, this is a Calgary, this, we talked about this on the pod and elsewhere as well. This is a Calgary Flames team that, that needs to, to stop the bleeding. Uh, and I guess this is move one from, uh, from Craig Conroy, send for a, a, high, a high draft pick, a first round pick, and try to you know, plug him in and try to find something new here. You have a thought on Calgary right now. Well, I think, um, you know, we mentioned on the pod yesterday that the Hannafin extension, which was close, um, may be, like, off now or at least um, held up. And I believe Eric Francis has a story uh, coming on that today. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Eric has uh, uncovered. But, you know, I, I just think that right now, the Flames are in a long conversation about what are we going to do here and what's all this going to mean. So I think it's just a really interesting uh, time in Calgary, and I'm really curious to see what... uh, I'm really curious to see where this is going to go here because actually I think Eric's story is going to be out any minute now. He just texted me. Um, and by right. like, I think Calgary is going to be in, okay, we have to take a deep breath and time out. And what does all this mean? 
Okay. Um, a couple of more things uh, before we let you go here. Um, and these are from last night. Uh, Winnipeg Jets, New York Rangers. This was part of uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey, as we saw the return of Blake Wheeler, um, which gives you a couple of moments, and certainly for Wheeler. And he, he's talked about, you know, when I was there, could I have done things differently? Uh, first of all, beautiful tribute by the Winnipeg Jets yesterday, last night. Um, yeah, lovely video montage. You could see that Wheeler was was you know really appreciated it and maybe choked up a little bit. Um, Peter Laviolette put him on the ice right after that, which is interesting. He's having an emotional moment on the bench, like all right, get out there and play now. Um, but you know, one of the criticisms of the pat, and I don't even know that it should be a criticism. It just maybe just rubbed some guys the wrong way. Wheeler expects a lot from himself. Mark Shifley expects a lot from himself as well. And whatever he expects of himself and Shifley expects of himself, they expect of everybody else on that Winnipeg Jets team. Um, there were, as we all know, accusations. Oh, they're running the room too hot. Uh, you either, you know, fit in with this standard, this impossibly high standard, or, you know, you're, you're, you're off the team, you're, you're out of the organization, etc. When you look back at the era where it was all focused on, you know, Wheeler and, and Shifley as, uh, as running the room there. What do you think now when you look back on that Jets team? Well, look, I, I think that, well, first of all, I think last night, like Christine's interview with Wheeler, I thought was really good. I thought the moment that they acknowledged yeah. him was really good. And I think what this allows everyone to do is now that he's been there and he's had this, like it's sort of like closure, you know, uh, you know, it's funny, like when uh, I know people like when you when you break up a long relationship with someone, some people are like, it's over. Get me the freak out of here. I don't have to deal with this person anymore. It's just time. And other people, they need closure. They have to have closure. Now, I got to tell you, I've never understood that. But I know people who are like that. And, yeah. you know, I wonder if last night was just closure for everybody. They He went back to Winnipeg. He got a really – the Jets did a really nice job, um, and now everybody can kind of just kind of get on with their lives. Um, you know, I, I think this, like you, you go back five years ago, they were in the Western Conference final, and they lost to Vegas. And I think we all thought great things, and yep. it, didn't, it didn't work out. And, you know, I have to tell you something, Jeff. There's one thing I think of all the time. And it's the very challenging line between being demanding and being too hard on people. It is a very, very fine line. Because if you go back, and I've always thought about this, you talk about the Jordan documentary, right? Nobody was more demanding on their teammates than Michael Jordan was. And how do we now remember Michael Jordan as maybe the greatest ever? And, and like, if Jordan was in today's age and he did some of the things he did back then, like, I, I don't know if he would be perceived the same way. Like, to me, it all comes down to do you win or not? If, if you win, people say, well, you were demanding, but you won, so it's a great thing. But if you're demanding and you don't win, people said, well, you're kind yeah. of leadership, but didn't win, so it's not a good thing. So sometimes I think it's, it doesn't come down to are you fair or not. It comes down to did you win or not. And I don't know if that's really the right way to look at it, but it's often the way that these things get decided. 
You know, just hearing you talk about this, you know, the one player that jumps to mind who's always been able to walk that line, come right up to that line, but never step over it, is Sidney Crosby. Like, when you look at players that demand a lot from themselves and expect that from their entire team, and I know the Pittsburgh's going through something awful right now, last in the Eastern Conference, etc., dropping a tough one to the Ducks last night. But historically, all through his career, I mean, what's the one thing about Crosby that we've talked about? First-line skill, fourth-line work ethic. Like, he's always been that guy. You know, it's a great story about, well, I just had Colby Armstrong on in the first hour. You know, Colby going to the gym with the, with the Pittsburgh Penguins and going up to Sidney Crosby and saying, like, why are you working out so hard? Is there another league higher than the NHL that you're trying to get to? Like, is there another league we can get to here? Like, what are you, what are you doing? We're already in the NHL. That's like that work ethic and that expectation that Crosby has always set. But he's never, to my knowledge, anyhow, maybe you can tell me otherwise, he's never bristled up or, uh, against other players on his team. I mean, Nathan McKinnon has that, and he's bristled up against players in the past, and we know that, but never with Sidney Crosby. You have a thought on that one? Well, I, w- I would also say this, that like there are players who couldn't handle Crosby in Pittsburgh. Like That, that has happened before. And because, and not because he's a bad guy or anything, but because he is so demanding and he does expect a lot. You know, you know, Jeff, you remember that what was the big debate? How come nobody can play with Sidney Crosby? Chris Kunitz was on an Olympic team because they were like, he knows how to play with Sidney Crosby. And does that mean Crosby's a bad guy? No, it doesn't, not at all. But it does mean that he's demanding, which is a good you know- thing. Like. I've never looked. Uh, I've never looked at uh, honestly, Jeff, as being demanding as being a bad thing. Like you can be extremely demanding to me as long as you're not abusive. I just I've always looked at it that way because I think I think the best people are demanding and they don't demand anything of anyone else that they don't deliver themselves. Let, let me jump in on one thing there. The um, the story about how it's so hard to play with Sidney Crosby. You know, oh, I, you know, this this slipper doesn't fit. We can't find anyone who this Crosby slipper fits on until we stumbled across Chris Kunitz. I always felt. Let me know what you think about this one. I always felt that the reason for that was nobody plays on their backhand more than Sidney Crosby. And it's so unexpected. Like, does I mean once, but Dave Keon, right? Like the great backhand master. Um, no one played on their backhand more or better, I would argue, than Sidney Crosby. And in that era of hockey, it was rare, and you never really saw it. And maybe guys didn't know what to do with it. Like the puck's on the back of Crosby's stick; he's not going to feed it to me now. Oh, wait a minute, he just did, and it's a laser beam. I always felt that that was the one issue more than anything else. Agree, disagree. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, but I think that also, I think he was, I think he's, I think he has high expectations. He expects a lot of himself. So he expects a lot of the people around him. I, I think the backhand thing is true, but I also would bet like the whole grinding nature of his game is true. Like Crosby's not... You know, he can certainly score off the rush, and when he can play, he can score off the rush. But a lot of the work is, is hard work done down low, and that's, those are hard goals to score. 
Seven one-goal games last night and one blowout where we saw double Gordie Howe hat-tricks for the Arizona Coyotes. Let's end on this one. And as many know, but for those who don't, the last time that organization had double Gordie Howe hat-tricks was Andrew McBain and Peter Taglianetti. Uh, That was in 1988. And fast forward to last night. Andrew McBain's son Jack pulls it off. That's amazing. Liam O'Brien. Isn't that a remark? I I saw that last night. I went to bed thinking about how incredible uh, a stat that is. And, you know, when you say that hockey has no poetry, look, ladies and gentlemen, for something as crude as a Gordie Howe hat trick from Andrew McBain to his son Jack, there was, you know, double Gordie Howe hat tricks for the Winnipeg Jets slash Arizona Coyotes. So we'll, we'll end on that one if you have a quick thought on it. Uh, I got to say, because it's funny, because I was looking through uh, NHL.com last night to figure out when was the last time two teammates got Gordie Howe hat tricks. And um, yeah. I, I, I'm glad that someone, I didn't go back as far as 1998 or 91 or whatever that one was. But that that's pretty amazing. It's father and son. This Jeff, I, like there's a think piece to be done on this. This has been quite a year for fighting. Way up. It's way up. up. It's way you wrote about it last week in thirty two thoughts and it didn't calm anybody down. As a matter of fact, uh it's been even friskier. And I wonder if that's just because of the stress uh right now as it seems as if there's playoff positioning going on from the opening puck drop of the season. Never mind, let's ease into it and we'll sort the playoffs out sometime after Christmas. No, it's get at it right away. No. Uh we're funny. heavy on time. Thanks yep. as always, Fridge. I know you missed I know you missed me yesterday, but don't worry. Uh, your work spouse is back. It's nice to be back together, Elliot. I'm sure you feel the same. Great. Speak to you later, bud. <laughs> Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts in Hockey Night in Canada.